another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing economic times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated this morning, as almost always, during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, as we share time together across my 50-mile drive from my personal mobile studio. Today is Thursday, December 11th. This is episode 108 of the Survival Podcast. And I've tried to make the Survival Podcast a pretty varied show. I do ask for your opinions. I do ask for your feedback. And above all, I ask for your disagreements with me. Uh, I do want to point one thing out, though, as I go into today's show. And we're going to talk mostly today about finding a, a good survival retreat. It's a subject I've talked about before. Uh, like most subjects, I talk about you know I talk about them over and over again uh, as they come up, as I have new information or as I have a new viewpoint. Uh, but I do want to say something here. I've been getting you know actually since I've started this show, I've been getting this. I've been getting pulled in different directions by the audience, and you know please keep suggesting. I don't want you guys to take this the wrong way. What I'm about to say, but the the occasional email that comes and it basically says something like, if you don't get back to base Basic practical things. I can't listen to your show anymore. All right, or you know, we really need to be talking about the economy because that's the biggest threat, and that's all we should be talking about. I get occasional emails like that. And let me put it to you this way: This is episode 108. That means there's about 60 to 70 hours of archived audio sitting at the survivalpodcast.com right now. Somewhere between 60 and 80 hours. Call it 60, right? That's the bottom that it possibly could be. It's about 60 hours. You know, if I talked about one subject for 60 hours, I don't think I'd have the thousands of people listening to me that I do today. I just can't go into one subject and stick with that. That's why this show's a podcast, not talk radio. You tune in to Glenn Beck, he's going to talk about politics and economics every freaking day. That's what you get. That's how you do a show on the radio. That's wonderful. And he has limits to what he can and cannot say. I am on the Internet. I can say any freaking thing I want to. Sometimes I use curse words because I can, because the FCC can very well go shove it up their ass if they don't like what I'm saying. Because this is an on-demand show that you choose to listen to or not, and that makes my show unique and different. Part of that is I'll talk about all kinds of things. For instance, today I want to talk to you guys about, again, something we talked about before, finding a a good survival retreat, a place that you can get away to either as a bug out location, which means you're living in your normal suburban house and something really bad happens and you have to get out and you have a place to go to. Or maybe it's a place like what I have where that's what it is for me today. I have a place up in Arkansas, shit hits the fan, we can pack up and we can get out of here and we have multiple evacuation routes planned. If this one doesn't work, then we'll take that one. If that one doesn't work, then we'll take this one. If time's the most important thing, we take this one. If security is the most important thing, we take that one. We know how to get there. Everybody knows how to get there. Everybody knows where to go. Everybody knows what to do. 
All right. So that's a bug out location. But my location is actually planned to be a permanent location at some point when we're done with our life in the city, which we're coming up on in one to two years. All right. That's our time frame for a chosen time of evacuation. We're going to bug out. You know, like the, I call it the big bug out, right? It's not a bug out because we have to. It's a bug out because we want to. And for some people, it's just I'm ready now, and I want to find a place that I can go to. You know, maybe you figured out either how to be wise with your money and save enough money up that you don't really have to work anymore, or that you can go to a part-time schedule, or you figured out a way to uh, leverage technological skills where you can work remotely or what have you, and you're not forced into a geographic-specific area anymore. All right? And for some people, it's just a vacation, Paul. Right? It's just a second place. It's just I need a place within a few hours of my city life that I can get away to. Right, And that's the, the beauty of what I'm going to talk to you about today. And I think more than just how to find it or what to look for, that's the biggest message that I want to give you. Because, again, as I've said all the time, I'm interested in your feedback. I want your feedback. I want your opinions, even when they're 100% you know, opposite mine. Because that's how this show gets to be better. And frankly, in some situations, people have brought things to my attention. I've examined the facts behind them with an open mind and realized I was wrong. And I appreciate that. Then there are other times where, you know, you'll give me your opinion and I'll shoot you down. Either in a return email or you post on the forum and I'll post back. You post on my blog, I post back. And then you're like, well, I thought you wanted my opinion. I do want your opinion. doesn't mean I won't agree, that I'm going to agree with it. But this is one place where I think that you have to realize that what you want when it comes to a place to get away from it all, no matter when or how that time is for you, that what you want is what's important. And that what you think is important doesn't really matter to Charlie in South Carolina or Bobby in Florida. It matters to you. And if you happen to be Mark in Arizona then you worry about Mark in Arizona. Don't worry about the fact that I said, yeah, you can homestead in in rural Georgia just fine. If you think, oh, Georgia's overpopulated, well, don't go there. Right? The key is, when it comes to a bug-out location, permanent or reserve, at some point you have to take this into account. I might have to go there and live there for a long time. I have made a choice that I'll have to live with. Nothing could be more personal than that. And so all these theoretical things that I see in forums and blogs by people that purport to be, you know, expert survivalists, real survivalists, you know, I'm a real survivalist. I know. I I know the New World Order is about to put everybody to death or whatever nonsense it is. And the only place to go is this little tiny area in northern Idaho. That's it. Right? There's people that think, there's this area in Idaho, or there's this area in Montana, there's this area in Wyoming. Those are the only three areas, right? Oh, great. So that's the only place to go. So if we all go there, we would change it. Wouldn't be remote anymore. And if you tinfoil hat guys are right, if you think they want to exterminate us, then they'll just wait till we all go there, drop one bomb, and be done with us, right? So you got to start thinking outside of the conventional extremist survivalist box when it comes to this. And you have to follow one of the things that I talked about in the show on a call to arms, a revolution in modern America. And that is you work with what you have. So if you are sitting in Georgia, for instance, 
and you have a typical blue collar or even middle class white collar job, you pay your bills, you're a hardworking, honest American citizen, you've screwed up like most of us and put yourself in some debt that you're working yourself out of so you can live a debt-free lifestyle, but you're not there yet, okay? And uh, you, you've gotten your finances in order, you've gotten your family on a budget, you're living well, you're storing some extra food, you're storing some extra cash, you're, you've thrown a little garden plot in the backyard, you're doing all the things that you're supposed to do, and you're now ready to take the next step of finding a place that you can bug out to. Unless you happen to have friends or relations that are on board with the same mentality sitting in northern Idaho, Northern Idaho is probably a hell of a long way away, even longer away than the map shows for you. So does that mean you can't play the game, so to speak? You can't find a remote location. Let me tell you something, folks. There's remote locations in Georgia that you could go to right now, build yourself a little campfire, set up a tent and sit there and wait. And you'd be waiting a long time before you saw another human being. Almost anywhere in this nation, within four to five hours of where you are, is some place that would qualify as very remote, if that is in fact what you want. You see, I'm a little bit more of an optimist when it comes to human behavior than people that are predicting a complete and total apocalypse. And I believe that when you move out into rural, small-town America, that in those places when there's a tragedy, that Farmer Joe doesn't pick up his shotgun and raid your house. Farmer Joe and Farmer Tom pick up their shotgun and they band together as a community and they protect the people in their community. They call on those that can protect it to protect it alongside of them and they accept as their responsibility a duty to protect those who cannot. That's what the foundation of this country is. If this country was so god-awful that that did not exist across rural America anymore, we would already be in the apocalypse. It would have already occurred. Because to think that it's keeping value in the dollar and a police force in place that prevents it from blowing up is just totally preposterous. There's about 300 million people in this country. If 50 million of them just all snapped at once, it would be totally uncontainable. That's the fear, actually. That is the fear of the apocalypse. 50 million people in this country snap out. Now, what keeps 50 million people from snapping out? There's 50 million of them out there willing to do it. They're separated. And they're surrounded by 250 million that do not allow it to occur. And the population density of positive versus negative increases when you move into rural environments. That's why I think so many people are looking to move back to the roots of what this nation was. A little bit of an agrarian society. Even even if you're not going to go out and be Farmer Joe, what people are saying is, you know what, I want to I want to be able to live somewhere where I can, you know, have a garden that's more than enough one four foot by eight foot bed. I want a little bit more land. I want to be able to uh, to breathe clean air. 
I want to be able to look around and not have a neighbor that I can literally spit out my window and hit their house. Even if I have a large lot, they're skinny lots and we're crammed in. You know? More and more people are feeling that way. And I think part of it is because when you move out into these areas, and some of them aren't that far away, right? It's got to be just far enough. Right? This is kind of a phase one of getting away from it. Just far enough that driving to a major city with work is inconvenient enough that 99% or more of people that work in that city won't do it. Right? Like my 50-mile commute, probably not far enough. Right? Definitely not far enough because I basically live on one side of the Metroplex and drive to the other. Right? So my, my suburban lifestyle, not... Not gonna, not gonna pull it off. Never was supposed to. Wasn't meant to do that. It was to live close to the family. Right? While my son was growing up, going to school, coming to the end of that phase. That's why we've selected a place to go to. That's why we're ready to move out soon. But you get to a place that's a hundred miles from a major metropolitan area, and you want you to think about this. Even seventy-five, right? Seventy-five miles. Some people will do it. I'll get an email today. I'll get an email today, folks. It's going to happen. I drive 76 miles. Good for you. You know what? How many people do you see running up your ass to get to the same place you're going? Probably very few. You get 75 miles right all directions. So you can take a, a little compass and go, okay, the map says that 50 miles is an inch. All right. Here's an inch and a quarter. And you draw a circle around your place. And you're at least 75 miles from anywhere. You're pretty much in that kind of a rural community. All right. And your dollar will go further in buying land there. Take it out to 100, it gets more. So you take it out to 150. Obviously, please don't write in all angry and fired up. If you could live in a place in, in, in the mountains of Montana, it would be more ideal. Here's the key for some people. My point is I don't want you to limit yourself and think, oh, I can't have a place in the country. There isn't a place for me. I can't get away. You know, there's always options for those who will be creative. I was just speaking of a friend of mine named Hal Don. Lives less than, I'd say, a mile and a half from my house here in suburbia. And uh, we fished together. I actually met Hal uh, out on Lake Joe Pool, hired him as a fishing guide to teach me the lake. And uh, he sent me an email. He said, here's my $1,500 trailer and my $1,400 piece of land. And I might have that wrong. It might have been a $1,400 trailer and a $1,500. I mean, one way or the other. But basically, here's less than $3,000. And it was a little trailer, not a big one. But, you know, big enough that a couple people, if they had to, could sleep in it anyway. I don't know if I'd want to live in there 24-7. But uh, you, know, you could go in there and sleep and be warm and have food and have a way to cook. And, you know, tied into some uh, form of power be able to take a shower and the lot was right down near Lake Brownwood and he told me that there are people down there that if you basically would go in clean up their back taxes and take over their property will give you their lot now I don't know the exact procedure so I can't give it today I just want to get you because and how many of you want to place on Lake Brownwood anyway I mean there's because there's hundreds of places like that across this country now, I don't think the lots are that big. I think they're a couple hundred feet by a hundred feet or something like that. But you've got the lakes. You've got a source of water, fish. The people that are down there are good people. 
if you see anybody else down there, there's someone like you who wanted to get away. Is it an ideal place to get away? No. But it's something. It's not that much money. Can't even buy a good used car for $3,000. Right? Hal bought himself a trailer, towed it down there, put it on the place and said, you know what? I got something. I got a place I can go. He could build on it from there. You know, and... You know, you could buy two of those lots. That's that starts to add a little bit of land, and you you still ain't out much, right? And I, I guess that's my point. There's always a way to so be creative. There's, you know, you might find four or five acres somewhere out in the, in a rural area, um, and you know. Whether or not you have access to the electrical grid, whether that's important to you, that's up to you. You decide. But maybe you can buy that land pretty affordably and throw one of those little trailers on it and have it as a getaway. And take your time to homestead it and eventually move there. There's always a way. Now, some of the things that I think are important to look at when you look for a remote property... One is if it's possible, and again, and again, these are you know one if it's possible, but two, my opinion. If this isn't important to you, fine. If you think you need to ratchet up my things in importance, fine. But make it about you. Don't tell everybody else how and where to live. I'm not going to tell you how and where to live. But it, to me, it makes a lot of sense if you could find a place where there's one way in. All right, one way in, one way out. That's all that there is. There's nothing else. If you find that, if you ever do end up in one of these nightmare scenarios, you only have one way to really expect the trouble will come from. Right? And, and a simple action of taking a good chainsaw and dropping a couple trees across the road kind of ruined the ability for you know bad guys to get in there with a vehicle. If you have a kind of like a private road, that's even better. That's what I happen to have up in Arkansas. And I and the six people that live, you know, on my side of that private road, I'm like the first one there because I'd be the front line of defense in an attack. Um, But we put a gate just past my place. You ain't got a key, you ain't get in. Not with a vehicle anyway. And, you know, does that mean somebody can't walk in? No. But it also limits what they can do and what they can take away from a theft standpoint. Your biggest threat, especially in a remote location that you don't live at, you know. And I'm fortunate. i got good neighbors up there keeping an eye on my place. And if you try to rob my house, one, there ain't much in there, right? If you walk in, you wouldn't be able to find very much. The stuff we have is stashed pretty good. And two, you'd probably be hanging from a tree upside down like a deer when I got there. And my neighbor would be saying, yeah, he tried to break in. I don't think he'll do that again. And we'd be burying you in a hole on the back, you know, the back side of the lot. But if you have a remote place where you don't have neighbors, it's that remote, then you have to worry about theft. So having a way to keep vehicles out. Um, and a gate's not 100%. Neither is a burglar alarm. Still makes sense if you own a business to have a burglar alarm in your business, right? So gate's not going to be 100%. Yeah, a guy can pull in there with a torch or a big truck and ram it or whatever. But it reduces things, right? And it, it, it will turn a lot of people away that won't even think that gate it could be a you know dirt road, gate. The first thing you're thinking is, old man with a double-barrel shotgun, nah, go find something else to rob, all right? So to me, that's a, that's a big one. Another big one, and you, this is something that's difficult, but if you look hard enough, you can probably find it, is something with water or water access on the property. 
and it could be in the form of so, you know somebody's already put a well in. That's 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 really great if that's the case, and you know, I haven't been able to find that. But surface water is even better. I've got a creek, little it's a little bitty creek, but it's a creek. It's flowing water. It's there. It can be dammed up. It can be put into a reserve situation. It can be drawn from. And that's a huge advantage if you have surface water on your property. It opens up opens up the opportunity to a lot to do a lot of other things, including with small livestock like ducks. Uh, there's a lot of ducks that man they don't need a giant pond, right? They, you give them a little pool, a little bit bigger than a kiddie pool, and if you can dam up even a seasonal creek to where that pool will be there for them um, throughout the year, even if the creek's not really running. Fence them in. I mean, you've you've got another source of you know if you do want to eat your animals, you've got a source of meat, you've got a source of eggs, and you've got a source of manure and, and composting. And if you look at the Dervais family out there in, in Pasadena, freaking California, I think they've got four or six ducks on that little one tenth of an acre city lot. So if they can do that, then you know you have an opportunity to do something else. And I was looking at their blog yesterday, and the number of eggs that six ducks produced were just amazing. Uh, duck eggs are actually something that have fallen out of vogue in America, but um, if you've ever eaten duck eggs, especially if you've ever eaten things that have been cooked with duck eggs, they're a lot richer um, in many ways, in nutrients and in just taste and flavor and texture than a chicken egg. Duck eggs are, are some good stuff. They are amazing for making, like, cakes and pastries with. So, you know, if you have some surface water, you open that opportunity up. You want a good watchdog on your property if you got enough water? Get you a few geese. I'll tell you what. <laughs> um, I think that uh, geese might protect your property better than most uh, mongrel dogs. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced an angry goose before, but especially some of these big domestic breeds that, that, that weigh 30 pounds or more, um, that when they when they crane their neck up can can peck a you know an average full size human uh, being in the face. Uh, they can be quite intimidating, and they they tend to if you uh, if you work with them from the time they're goslings come to accept their owners and be uh, quite gentle animals with their owners, but then they don't like strangers. So, you know, surface water, you know, how do we get off of ducks and geese? Well, because we haven't talked about ducks and geese on a remote property before. I try to make it varied, but, you know, that's another option that's out there. Uh, with that note, you mean, even if you are in kind of a small town environment, you want to m- maybe make sure, if this is important to you, that it's okay to have livestock. A lot of little towns now, you know, are kind of changing for the worst, in my opinion, telling people you can't keep livestock, you know, and uh, and even if you call them a pet, they'll call them because they're a duck or a chicken or a goat, a livestock, right? Now, I actually have a suggestion for you. There is a huge move in the commercial agricultural world right now to try to put taxation on people for owning things like a cow because the cow farts. This is not conspiracy stuff. So it's a serious movement to try to do that. They're trying to make people register livestock, have licenses to keep livestock. I would just, in your phraseology, say that your your animals are pets. Okay, and when I talked about it, I would say it that way. You have a rabbit for manure. He's not livestock. He's a pet. You have a rabbit that you breed and you eat the offspring when they're big enough to be fryers because that's what you want to do. They're pets that you eat. All right. 
I just think it's a good idea to start thinking that way now to preempt some things that can come along the road. The other thing to look for in your remote property, especially if you're near a small town, if you have a place that's got really low taxes, look at the area, look at the surrounding environment and say to yourself, this town that's nearby, what is the potential for them to annex this property? And when I say the property and annex, I'm talking about the whole area and kind of change your tax status and jack your property taxes up. And look at the population density and, and basically say to yourself, if I were this town and I had to provide additional services, are there enough people, is there enough population density and you know how valuable are the homes and things like that that it would be worth it to me financially? in return for services with the tax revenues be an increase? Would it give us more? Will it increase our power? Will it increase our control? Or will we get so little in revenue and have to provide so much in services that it's going to be a loss? Look for a place where it's going to be a loss for them. Because then you can be pretty well assured that you're going to stay in that rural zoning or whatever they call it wherever you live and you won't see your taxes increase. You know, regardless of the uh, purchase price of a property, a mortgage on it, insurance on it, I want you to think about what you can save by making that kind of a move. I'll give you a for instance, I pay over $4,000 in total property taxes in Arlington, Texas. And my house is not extravagant. It's just not. And I actually pay multiple municipalities. I pay school taxes to Mansfield. I pay city taxes to Arlington. I pay Tarrant County Hospital taxes. Tax, 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 tax. But over $4,000 a year. Ten years, that's about fifty grand. Ten years, $50,000 that could have been going into my retirement account. They could have, frankly, paid off a major portion of the home itself. Gone. Forever. Never getting it back. And the services they provide, not a good return of investment, in my opinion. My property taxes in my place in rural Arkansas, which is five acres, is about $316 a year. A year. All right. Now I have to pay the Department of Sanitation to come take my garbage away once a week. Because <laughs> it's not included in services. But that's like $40 a quarter or something we pay on that. So that's like another 120 a year. So I'm under five bills for all services to my property. Right, and taxes, etc. And... Um, you know, I want to keep it that way. So I looked for a place. We have minimum five-acre lots. Uh, quite a few of the people living up there are putting in mobile homes. Uh, now, these are, you know, your uh, single-wide tin roof things are nice. There's certain restrictions. Uh, composite roofs. They have to be new ones. You can't buy one that's 80 years old and drag it up there and say that's my. So there's a little bit of restriction. It's community-enforced. It's not a homeowner's association. It's just basically a community agreement that basically says these are certain things we will not allow because we don't want this place to change. We've all moved here because we like it this way. And one of those restrictions was a five-acre lot size. So that's kind of my next thing is you need to look at wherever you're moving are the restrictions. And do they impact you in a negative way or do they make you happy? But let me be really clear about this because I've seen a lot of people 
that moved into a place with a, with a true homeowners association that were totally in love with the place when they moved there. But because the homeowners association had too much power and too much ability, eventually the old blue hairs running the damn thing ruined the whole neighborhood for everybody. Started saying stuff like, oh, we don't want you to have a flagpole. All the mailboxes on our street have got to be black. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I know places where you are not allowed to put up Christmas lights of a certain color or outside of a certain theme. Right? I'm not talking about like kind of everybody kind of agrees, wink, wink, nod, nod. I mean, they will come to your house, take your lights down, bring in the sheriff's department for a violation of your agreement as a homeowners association. In one particular place, they all put up green lights. Everybody's yard has nothing but green lights. And if you put up red lights, they will sue you. They'll have your lights taken down. All right. Now, no one wants to move out into you know kind of a, a rural area, even if you want to do kind of like a small town suburban, urban homesteading, if you want to call it that. No one wants to go through all the trouble to do that and then be told what color freaking lights they can put up. So really look at what kind of control does any community organization or homeowners association have the ability to act. And basically with ours was, these are the restrictions. And the final restriction is, there won't be any more, ever. And this cannot be changed. And this is a covenant agreement. And this is, this is the way that it is, and this is the way that it shall be. And if you move here, you accept that. So you won't be changing it, you won't be bringing more, and you won't be taking away what we've all agreed to. We want our area, our little place, to look like it does 100 years from now. We want to preserve it, and yet we want it to have freedom to live there. So really take that into consideration. And I think right now is a good time to start, you know, checking with tax offices in areas that you're, you know, that you're interested in buying property. I think there's a lot of stuff out there right now, especially in rural America, places, you know, where grandma died and the family just, I don't care. It's sad, but that's happening all over the place. There's a lot of places where people are in default. Uh, there's there's people that can't pay their mortgages. They're in foreclosure. There's families that have inherited a piece of land and nobody really wants it. Uh, the the downturn in the economy is an upturn in opportunity to buy real estate right now. And I, I'm telling you, this is probably not a good time to go out and buy ten properties uh, to convert to rental units. Because the uh, the economy's down and there's a lot of empty places right now. But if you're looking for a place to actually live now or to live sometime soon, and you have the financial means to do so, uh, this is a good market. And, and I, you know, when I talk about this before, people say, "Well, I think it'll still go down." Well, it might, but just like stocks, right? I talked about stock, the stock market yesterday. You can time a market to a degree. But you can't time a market to here's the finite bottom and here's the finite top, and I'm going to go one degree separation from both of them. You know, a little side note, those of you that are believing in one person in particular that's telling me you can't time the market, you're full of crap. You know, I've seen this market move up, 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 and I've seen everybody saying, this is it, this is it, we got maybe six months left, there's all these indicators, and it starts to slide, 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 down, 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 and then boom, it crashes. You had all the time of that slide, you had all the time toward the top, you didn't need to hit the top, you didn't need to, oh, am I going to lose a little bit of money? No, 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 there was plenty of time out, and when it hits the bottom, you know, the bottom, well, not the finite bottom, but it kind of trails along, up, down, up, down, like it's doing now. 
right? Plenty of time to go back in. Go to Google Finance, throw in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and look at how long bottoms and tops have actually lasted. And you'll see that it's not about day trading. And the real estate market is the same way, okay? The real estate is down. And if you're buying a place to live, if you're not trying to flip a property, you're not trying to time the bottom or the top. You're trying to say, when does what I want and what I have enable me to purchase what I'm looking for? So really take advantage of this opportunity right now. And then on the other side of it, I think we're in a recession uh, that may be a depression that could last a long time. And property could go lower. It could go up, but I don't think it's going to rebound overnight. So you have time. So don't freak out. Think, i got to act now. i got to act now. No. Do it financially responsibly. Do it in lines with the plans that you have for your life. But start shopping because shopping's free. Start shopping for an area, and then once you've honed in on a few areas, start shopping for some specifics and see what you can find. You know, instead of taking an expensive vacation, take a cheap little mini vacation. Go to a place you think you'd like like to live. Stay in a you know a low cost hotel room. Drive there. That way you'll be in a place that you can get to if you want to co manage it remotely like we do. And just spend a week in a little small town. You know, don't do all the tourist stuff. Go to the little restaurants, go to the little shops, talk to local people. It'll make a difference. It'll tell you, you know, either yeah this is a place we can really see ourselves living or these people are not like us. And sometimes you feel that way and you realize, well, you know, it's because we're different, but I like who these people are. And I think we could be happy here, and I think we'd be willing to adjust to the lifestyle of this community. Because it's your responsibility to adjust to the lifestyle of a community that you move into. No one asked you to go there. On the other hand, you may go, no, 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 no. this will never work. Good. Don't buy a place and then realize that. Go to a place, experience it, and realize that in advance. You know, if you're a very religious person, you might be happy in a place where you can just about bet that once a week, someone's going to knock on your door and tell you about Jesus. All right? Have you found Jesus? Yes, I have. Great, let's talk about it for a while. We'll go tell somebody else. If you're not very religious and you don't want to be, then you may not want to move to a community where once a week somebody's going to you know, knock on your door and try to drag you to a church. And I'm not telling you which way I feel about that. I'm just saying you got to figure it out for yourself. Because there's some places, especially when you're a new person, that that's what's going to happen a lot when you first move in. And if you don't go to one of them, they're going to look at you as being maybe one of them people I don't want to hang around with. right? There are places like that. I'm not putting them down. Just saying you got to figure out what it is before you go there and make a lifelong commitment or even a 10-year commitment to living there. So I hope this is maybe a different view of how you can find a remote piece of property. Uh, I didn't really talk about ways to look them up. I've done that in the past. There's other shows on it. You can go to the blog and search for real estate, search for bug out location, search for property. I mean, search for whatever, anything like that. And you'll find all these different episodes I've done on it. I just want to make you think about it a little bit differently and make it apply to yourself. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, all the types of stuff this guy described today doesn't fit me. Good. Now you know what you don't want. Now figure out what you do want. Figure out how to get it. Because I believe the key to true wealth 
in America today rests on three things. One, having some sort of cash reserves, monetary reserves, real tangible wealth, money. All right? And I think most people understand that. If you got to be wealthy, you got to have some money. You at least have to have some source of income that provides for everything you need, some of the things you want, and you still have some left over. But the other two sides that actually create wealth that get ignored are, one, the elimination of debt. You have to eliminate debt. And when I say wealth, I think everybody who listens to my show knows I don't mean Donald Trump. I don't even mean Donald Trump mini or Donald Trump light. That's not what I mean when I say wealth. Wealth to me is defined as how many days you can survive forward if you don't do anything. If you don't go to work tomorrow. If you can, if you do not go to work tomorrow, pay all your bills for six months and you have six months wealth, six months worth of wealth. I measure wealth in time, not dollars. Because my lifestyle, maybe if you had my lifestyle, you would have six months worth of wealth, but your lifestyle, you only have three. So the money doesn't matter. It's how we live and spend it. Debt-free extends that time. Because instead of having to pay debt, I only have to provide for what I need day-to-day. My sustenance. All right? And number three is the ownership of land that in some way can be designed to produce for you. So that's my number one criteria for a place I'm going to buy. Can I convert this land, can I convert this home into a producer rather than have it be a consumer? See, unfortunately, in spite of all the efforts that I've made in Arlington as far as building a garden and putting a greenhouse in and the energy efficiency and everything else and all things we'll continue to do, that house will never completely be for me a producer. All right. It will always on some level consume. The taxes and insurance on it alone, let alone the mortgage, will cause it to remain a consumer. My bug out location has the potential to be completely paid off, cost me four to five hundred dollars a year to maintain in, in complete costs, and become a producer. So that's my number one requirement. I don't know what yours is. My statement to you is if you want to live that better life, you figure out what it is and you write yourself a plan. You don't just have one in your head. You write yourself a plan to get what it is that makes it work for you. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Hoping you figured out today a little bit more about how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent.